Hello, this is Black Country Blokes Tune the Fat. Listen, listen, listen. I've been hearing a lot lately about men don't talk. But in my experience, men do talk, just people aren't listening. So it's going to be me and a group of blokes discussing our struggles and victories through life. Warning, there may be some bad language, so apologies to all the mums, especially on my own. Let's get going. Listen, listen, listen. Abby, yeah, this is the Black Country Blog, showing the fact about everything is mental health, disability, and life in general. Here with me, Kev Dillon, and my partner in crime, as always, Lee Cadman. And today we're joined by Ben. Now, you might hear I'm not feeling the best. I've still got my virus, but. Spreading it to all of us. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> a day above ground is a good day. But before we start, we're going to do our gratitude list. Now, I'm grateful. Um, a lot of people say they're going to do stuff and never do. But I've got a good friend who comes to my free daytime sessions, Tim, and he's been doing our shorts for us. And that's a big help for us, isn't it? So he's going through the episodes and he's getting loads of different shorts that we can share on social media and YouTube. And so a massive thank you to Tim because it, it is a big help. Oh, it's it? enough a big help. You know what? Editing is the bane of my life, isn't it? With, yeah. with this stuff and to have someone who's uh, who's doing that and taking the clips, listen to the episodes, it's time consuming and he's doing yes. it all for free. And yeah, we really appreciate him. Yeah, that's my gratitude. Whatever you are, pal. Oh uh, well, finally, I'm going to look at a, a house tomorrow. I've spoke many times on on here now about uh, the housing situation, with my daughter. But finally, tomorrow we're going to actually view one, and I'm really looking forward to seeing that and uh, yeah. hopefully moving. You know, I mean, that's been best part of a year now, bro. Near enough a year now. Yeah, near enough a year. Um, every battle and every. Mm. But one thing you have learned, and anyone you know, he's been experienced and. You've learned it the hard way, but at least if someone does need advice, you've been here to help them out here. That's and... it. That's it. Hopefully we can advise people and uh, speed their process up. And Ben, what are you grateful for, bro? I'd just say the people around me at the moment. Like, you know, I've kind of come to a place in the last probably year where I've got people around me. Like, don't get me wrong, it's not a lot of people, like, you know, less than five, yeah. but people you can actually rely on. And, like, my partner especially, it's just been really like fulfilling to have that behind you i think you find that as you get older though you don't it's not about how many friends you've got it's about the the quality friends and family the quality of the ones that are there quality of a quantity yeah definitely yeah. and you do as you get older you just tend to lose you know not yeah yeah you do when you just you're left with the the good i'm still trying to get rid of kev <laughs> as life like some some friends are seasonal and when you're a kid we were on about this earlier on the phone we're gonna be best friends forever i'm gonna be the best man at your wedding and you go to college or whatever they have a girlfriend and you lose them some people are seasonal every christmas you see them some friends you know they serve a purpose they're, they're there for a chapter very very few people are there for the whole book are they from the start to the finish then you know it's a, that's just how it is it's life isn't it like everyone's like is there for a reason in some way some people are like leaves as you say like you know they'll be there for a little bit but if things get a little bit windy it's goodbye yeah some people it's like you know they're a bit more like your roots and they will be around longer but it just depends on you keeping them close and like keeping them nourished as well as yourself you know like you give out as much as you take in that sense like you know there's no there's no one-way relationships that work well, is there really? Let's be honest. You've got to give and take and everything. And it's something I've learned a lot. Like, you know, I was quite selfish when I was younger and stuff, but that was because I was so absorbed in everything. You don't really think about everybody else, do you? Mm. And I think that's kind of where I've come from it, is that, like, you know what, I've had my issues and I've seen other people struggle. And I don't want people to feel that they're on their own with it now. And, like, the people I have around me, we've all got our issues haven't we every single one of us yeah. but it's like you know being that person that you can be able to talk to and there if you need them i mean once you get older as well you realize everyone's broken but in different ways with disability experience or trauma or whatever it is we're all broken in our own different ways but as a child you feel like you're the odd one out and the same with that like when you're struggling you don't realize that people are struggling around you you just focus out on yourself, and that's what you do when you're, when you're in a fight. You're not looking over your shoulder to see if your old pals are right because you're just trying to survive at the time, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. Like, 
that was a massive thing for me was like back in my time like when i was struggling with when i was 14 15 trying to figure out what was going on it was like you were so absorbed in it in your own battle you saw nothing of how your actions would affect others or how you were portraying that to other people etc and it's it's it is consuming isn't it and it's about your way of dealing with it in a way that doesn't like affect other people but you know that's why some people are there at times and then that's why they aren't there you know everybody has a purpose to be there but you know people going isn't a bad thing it's sort of, you're think, still growing in that aren't that's you? right well i think it still happens even as you're older if you hit a bad point it, with depression and you don't get off the sofa your consideration at that point is not really of of the people around you is it and, and rightfully so, you've got to get yourself better before you, you, you start looking at that. But, but what, what I found myself is once you come out of that dark time, that depression, you then, you're then thinking about, actually, I need to speak to this person and, and not necessarily repair the relationship, but talk through what actually happened. It's important to do. Like, I've had to do it quite a lot in the last probably few years. And it's, you know, you do lose contact, you get absorbed in your own life and not mm. just if you're struggling, it's like, you know, everybody, as you grow older, you have your own life, you know, you have your, you have your relationships, you have your job, you have your own hobbies and interests. Yeah, you, you don't speak to your parents as often, call them, you don't, you, you, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, you just don't see them as often, do you? And, and um, yeah, do, do you need to catch up with that, don't you? Because... Unfortunately, we're, we're all going to pass one day and you don't want that regret of, of not speaking. You just got to make the best of the time you have. have don't you? And yeah. Like you take value in what you feel that people are, give value to you. So you choose to give the time to the people that give most value and purpose to yourself. Yeah. And it's a hard thing. And happiness. To, you know, it's, it's a hard thing to like handle, isn't it? You mm. don't know what's like the right thing always, but it's about what you feel at that time you know there's never a right answer is there about how you spend your time what choices you make there's always going to be that oh what if i did that differently or whatever but that's you know you make choices and you learn from them you grow like half the choices i made when i was younger if i didn't like go through that i wouldn't be half the person i am today mm. so would you like to tell us about your story where does it where does it begin so where i'd say probably around 12 13 so my mom, I lived with my mum and dad at the time, never married. Um, my mum was like, she was a domestic abuse victim. So my dad would um, do lots of different kind of things, like from emotion abuse, sexual and whatnot. And I didn't really notice it for the first couple of years. Like, I knew things were wrong. Like, there was arguments, shouting and stuff. I'd, you know, I'd, ha I'd hide under the table at times, cuddling the dog and stuff. And, you know, what I just... I never felt like I could change anything. Mm. And it carried on for like two, three years, probably. When I, It probably was happening long before then, but that's when I started to notice it. Come away with 12. Yeah. But, you know, like you do as a kid, you distract yourself from things, don't you? You don't focus on negative stuff like that. Like I was always out playing football down the park till 10 o'clock at night in the summer and stuff. Mm. Like I kept myself well out of those situations. But it's your home life as well, when you've seen it all the time. It's almost normal to you is it's only when you go to someone else's house and you're seeing their mommy and daddy not acting in the same way of yours you think i hope this ain't quite right and i think that's what happened like i think people like on the street and stuff like my neighbors there was like one kid and his family which i went around to quite a lot they lived opposite us and i think they knew what was going on and i think the more i spent time around there or at my mates around the corner and stuff mm. i noticed it and i think when that hit me it was just like i need protector mm. But like being 13, 14, I had no idea how to. Of course, yeah. And I started boxing and kickboxing eventually. Um, that helped quite a lot with like the anger stuff. Was that something your mum and dad got you into? That was yeah. on your own? Yes, yeah, so like I was playing football all the time when I was younger. I've always did that. Hmm. And my coaches, so one of my coaches, um, his her partner was a kickboxing coach. And I went into that eventually. I don't really know how I got into it, but I remember just going along and I started helping with the kids' classes and whatnot. And it was just like a massive distraction. Mm. Like, I probably did that to about 17, but when I was about 15, everything kind of with my dad and stuff, I kind of just one day got back 
and you know just going off the wall or shouting raging and whatnot i don't know what came over me that day but i was like you know what that's it i can't deal with this anymore and i got him to leave and i think that was like that turning point for me mm. like don't get me wrong i think that's probably where everything started really more than when 12 13 i think that's where everything like the damn walls came down everything was so much more on me because i was thinking i have to protect my mum. And Which is horrible for a child to feel like that, isn't it? That you have to be the, the protector. I think that was the biggest thing for me. Like it was, I always felt guilty that I couldn't do it more. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like why with my, like I haven't had a relationship with my mum now for, for seven years. And I think the reason that is because there's, you know, there's always too much water into the bridge. I can't get past the feeling of why couldn't, why wasn't I enough to stay around for? I'll get back to this. But then why couldn't I protect you as well? There's probably guilt on both sides. Mm. And so, like, I'll go back to that. So when I was 17, um, my mum met another bloke after my dad left and whatnot. There was two or three before then, all douchebags, literally useless, didn't do anything, nothing but scrimping and saving, always in the house, causing arguments, same kind of person. Mm. Like... Repeating the same pattern, and I think you find that a lot, don't you? With like like domestic abuse and stuff, people don't, the victims don't realise it, mm. and they are drawn to that kind of normality for them. And when she did that, like the one guy had to come home holiday, uh, home from holiday early with my friends, had to come back and get him out of the house. And there was like, and then was you still living at home then? Yeah, yeah. I was lived at home till about seventeen. My mum then decided you know what, living here is too much for me, I can't cope with everything that's happened here, etc, etc. She met this other bloke I never met and said, right, I'm moving up to Brum, do you want to come with me? And I was like, I can't do it. I can't put myself in that situation again where he's violent or whatever. I can't put myself through it again. Like I've reached, I came out of hospital, I've had, I had three inpatient stays in hospital before then in mental health wards. And as I come out, it was just like, I've not put myself through it. So she up to left, left me homeless. And I stayed on my mate's sofa for a few months. And I got back on my feet and got my own place. And yeah, I was like 18 when I got my own place. And it was like building from there. Do you think you had like the in, uh, having to go into an establishment with the stress? Was it overlapping mental health stress from what was going on with your home life as well as being so when i was so i was admitted when i was 14 no 14 or 50 i think it's 15 16 and 17 every year basically it was always around september to november enough when people have that certain time whether it's been a trauma or whatever but it's getting around that time i'm get a bit poorly i think it was for me it was that you know like holding everything in all year like you know at school and whatnot and then it just got to a point where it would just build and build and i couldn't i couldn't tolerate it anymore mm-hmm. and it would just all come tumbling out in an attempt on my life or you know a crisis call or something really dangerous and silly mm-hmm. not silly at all it's not it wasn't silly for where i was yeah it was really difficult situation like i couldn't see a way out Mm. Like, did, did you feel like you genuinely wanted to end your life at that point or is it more like i want help i think for me it was more i want the pain to stop mm. i don't think it was i want help it, i don't think it was i don't want to be here anymore i think it was i cannot tolerate this situation Keep going anymore on. yeah mm. i need it all to just give and yeah there was probably five attempts from like 15 to 20 and yeah they were all that same kind of thing letting it build and build and then not talking and then all of a sudden it just comes out in this attempt yes and like hospital wasn't helpful for me no. like you know it was you know hospitals nowadays it's not loads of interventions and treatments is it it's very much this is your safety net for the time being mm-hmm. and that's what it was and don't get me wrong that was massive for me to have somewhere where i didn't have to worry about my own safety you know, you had people around you making sure you were eating, making sure you were showering, making sure you were looking after yourself, making sure you were taking meds, etc. And just having someone that's always there if you needed to talk and whatnot. 
but it's it's more of a safe point than yeah, that's all it was somewhere where i go i've now learned some skills to help me from you know breathing exercise and yoga and stress relief it's i come i have my depot i have a couple of tablets they've stopped me from killing myself i'll see you soon literally and i think that's what it was for me like i never you know like i tried cbt i had dbt mm. didn't help me it made me worse like trying to go back and like relive mm. it in that sense and try and unscramble it i couldn't do it no and it put me off services all completely mm. but like the older i've got and stuff the more i've learned about myself and like for me it's not big big interventions like therapies and trying to understand why it happened etc it's learning look this is where i am and how do i best deal with what's happened and what i do to move forward with it and what helps me mm. and distractions is like the biggest thing for me like keeping busy gaming work um boxing now and stuff like that like just keeping myself going and and i think a lot of people do that do the same thing don't they but it's making sure you are on the side of the good distractions as well it's, it's very easy to, to to have a drink to take drugs to, to do the bad side isn't it but if you're doing the positive you're gaming you're boxing even those though, though too, too much of it is not good for you but it's certainly better than yeah i found that out mm. yeah i used because i was when i was kickboxing and stuff it was well five times a week i was going i was cutting i cut seven kilo for a fight in three days like, mm. no definitely not great no and then like gaming i was doing that like i used to work nights like so i'd be like as soon as i got home at like two four in the morning I'd be on until 10 11 a.m mm. and then crashing for four hours and going back to work etc mm. and like it wasn't healthy but it was just i was in that survival mode yeah of just getting through and doing what you've got to do and it's that survival mode like uh, i met someone who was on heroin for years and he goes oh i wasted my life and I went well the heroin kept you alive until now so it wasn't the end of the world and that's sometimes you've got to think because i'm wasting my life i'm doing it's kept you alive till this point and now you're at this point now you want to get better everybody so, has a voice everyone has they? a voice you know everybody has something that helps like a little get me through the day kind of thing you know if, like if it's, if it's coffee if it's smoking if it's well, having a drink in the evening if it's going to the gym you know anything like everybody has their little thing that helps them hmm. and i don't think there's anybody can tell you what's right and what's wrong obviously there's the legal side of things and all that kind of you don't need to go into but whatever helps somebody get through is important and it shouldn't be like ignored and just said no that's terrible why are you doing that and stuff it's trying to understand why are they doing it mm -hmm. and then how can we show them a better coping strategy or a technique instead of just saying no you shouldn't be doing that it's learning other ways isn't it i saw this thing once again it's exactly what you just said it's like um people think it was drugs that was the problem because no i was the problem i was just feeling the problem with drugs and it's right isn't it, when you look at that kind of thing going why am i going to the gym 23 hours a day why am i doing drugs where am i gaming where am I? and it's until you address the problem then it's always going to be a problem is it? you're just going to fill it with whatever it is and everybody has their fills their buckets in different ways don't they like yeah. i've been reading a book lately by april winfrey and dr bruce perry mm. it's called what happened to you it's like all about trauma and what adverse childhood experiences and it's like conversation between them and there was something in there about their buckets and everybody has a different bucket and mm. you know people some people like someone that's struggling with mental illness will fill theirs with more negative and more deaf like more temporary things but then somebody that's like more mentally stable mentally well they would have their more concrete kind of they would have their kind of relationships they'll have friends support networks around and that will feel good half of that bucket mm. and then they have their other things which enrich that but when you've got somebody that's not as mentally well and they don't have that stability around them, you see like they're sort of ten percent their buckets, their friendship, relationships, etc. And then the rest is all like, you know, if it's junk food, if it's going out, putting yourself in risky situations, going out on the piss every night. So awesome that short term dopamine hit, isn't it? Yeah. Let's get out of feeling like this, even if it's for three seconds. But it's also amazing that like with some people who are mentally ill. Or someone who's got a disabled child or and it's amazing or you've got this guy who you see this athlete who's an 
And then he, his buddy, Bucky can just tip over at the side of his finger, losing a fight. Or his partner leaves him. Or then you've got someone who's got a severely disabled daughter. And you're thinking, what actually tips your Bucky? It's amazing what tolerance we've all got to different things. And we say it's a lot. It's oh, well, I think it's built, isn't it? You know, yeah. I don't think you... It's repetitive. You, yeah. You don't just wake up one day going, I am resilient. Yeah. It's it's through life experience, good or bad. No, good or just, bad. It literally says it in that book. There's a whole thing on stress response. And it is very much like, yeah, your early experiences from when you're, even from when you're like your first six months, mm. they help to form your stress responses. So like, for instance, like a child that's not like gone to in the night and nurtured after like crying for hours, their stress responses are going to be different to someone that's cared, they understand they're cared for and loved straight away. Mm. Like all these things in your formative years have such a massive impact. And like everybody has their individual stress response, don't they? Like to low stress, to medium stress, to really high stress. Like some people deal really well with high stress, but they can't deal with those low stress things. Like, yeah. oh, I've missed all parts on the drive. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, someone, a pigeon, just a got pigeon pooed on my car. Yeah. <laughs> but that, you say another, but that could be. That could be a massive tipping point my, for someone. My, my husband's just got cancer. My wife, my daughter's drowned. And it's, stay calm. We'll be, but a boo poo's on the car. Could be the thing that tips the, the scales. The yeah, back. We've just had a great comment. So we've had a few comments. If anyone wants to ask Ben or us questions for that matter, write them in in the comments in Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube, and, and we'll we'll answer them and display them. But someone's has put it actually really well. Um, so Regan Pinches has put: the more the iron is tempered, the tougher it becomes. All iron breaks under enough stress, and that's it's true. Isn't yeah, it? yeah. But it's amazing. You said oh. You look at someone like, and you go like, "Oh, oh it must be like when you're in the baby." You know, I mean, so my baby has tonsillitis, and I'm up all night. And I'm panicking because I was a puny child, and oh my god, he's there. The blue lights are going with colour, and hey, you hold yourself together. And then some days, you know, we, we'll be laughing, won't we? And go, oh, I don't know, something, something minute, yeah. and you could be up the walls. But it's some stuff you haven't got control over. No. Other stuff, someone pass on your drive. How dare he? Park on my but didn't he know I needed to go to the butchers? I'm gonna go put you then in, you know what I mean? But some stuff, and that bloke who's part of Detroit, yes, he might be an ignorant so and so, but he, he, he doesn't, he has, he's not, he doesn't care about you. You just haven't entered his mind, mind yeah, it's you're just on his radar because he had to go and pick the baby up from school or whatever. Yeah. You've got an issue with people parking on well, the road. You've mentioned it a few times here. Yeah. <laughs> How many people we've almost punched ready now? <laughs> Create your own car park like I've seen some people do. Yeah, <laughs> charge them. <laughs> That's it, you're missing a moneymaker there. Okay? Have, have a sniper rifle there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but going right back to what you were saying about in Bur your mum was going to, she moved to Birmingham and asked you, how did that make you feel? And I just couldn't believe that she thought that because it was a question. I think it was like, like, how could you think I would go and do that? Yeah. And still to this day, like, don't get me wrong, I haven't had contact for a couple of years, but when she's mess she's used to message me every like couple of months or every year or so, oh, I miss you and stuff. And I think it was mostly for her own guilt and satisfaction. Mm. And when I replied, which I really wish I didn't a lot of the times, was it was like, oh, it was your choice to stay here and stuff and whatnot. And it was like, what choice did I have? You know, I was 17, I was traumatised, I'm not going to come out of hospital, and you want me to potentially go and stay with another bloke I've never met, who the last two or three have been violent and abusive. Do you think I want to put myself in that situation again? I think you're very brave, to be honest, because in that in that situation, you could have gone with what you knew. Because to, yeah. to be left and, and, you know, you're 17, you don't really know life, do you? You know, you don't... You, you probably panic the hell like, what am I going to do now? You know, I've got, I've, you know, I've got to. Yeah, I think that's where like my friends like Jay and V came in. Like they were so valuable. Like they literally took me in as their own. They're probably your your guys' ages and stuff. And they took me in as their own. Like Jay knew my mom back from in the day and whatnot. And he was always kind of there. Yeah. And they were always. They just took me in. I was sleeping on the sofa for what six months, and it was that kind of just knowing someone gave a crap. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, I don't really know why I made that decision. I think it was more, I cannot be another victim of this because mm. once I had my diagnosis as like complex PTSD, 
I was reading like all the statistics and whatnot and they absolutely terrified me. Mm. And like I was adamant back when I was 17, 18, I will be another statistic by I'm 21. Like I will be in a box by 21, definitely. Would you explain what complex uh, uh, CPTSD is for the people who haven't watched our So complex PTSD is PTSD is in a nutshell, but either in a long and enduring way so multiple events of the same nature or different nature over a certain amount of time, like it's no definitive, but it's a culmination of multiple traumatic events. Mm. Like PTSD usually stems from one traumatic event, like a, tra a bereavement or a suicide, or you know, being being in a war, being in a war, for instance, having like being in a firefight and having that kind of PTSD shell shock kind of stuff. Mm. And complex PTSD is being in that in those environments as really high stress it, like experiences long periods and mine was probably God, i don't know like when i was probably younger it probably was going on i don't remember you know like and that's part of my ptsd is i've blocked out a lot of my childhood mm. but that's like my own protection and but no i'd say it's that to see the difference is massively on that the long and enduring side and there's no like clinicians don't like to diagnose it because it's such a hard thing to diagnose mm -hmm. and the label it gives as well is like it's so much more just all-in-consuming and like the statistics around it that was the biggest thing for me was how i think it was if you have cps cpsd or you experience five or more adverse childhood experiences you're 9.5 times more likely to, to attempt suicide and i think that was like wow for me and yeah i don't think clinicians want to diagnose it because of that and it's mm -hmm. that you know we don't want people to feel like they're always going to struggle with it and well, obviously you are going to struggle with it because you've had significant traumatic events for your most formative years that is going to have side effects on you isn't it yeah and there's so much like unawareness about it isn't there now like you know, it's starting to come about a lot more. Like, there's trauma-informed care coming around a lot more and stuff. They're trying to introduce it into schools, etc. But there's so much unknown about how these things can affect you. Mm. Like, ACEs as a whole, like adverse childhood experiences, there's like 10 or 12 categories of it. And I think, yeah, it's five or more, and it's 9.5 times more likely to attempt. And it's, you know, they're not massive things, are they? Like, it's, you know, it could be just drug use in the family. It could be, have you ever been verbally, verbally shouted at and abused? Have you ever had um, uncomfortable experience with, like, other family members? Have you ever been told you're unloved, etc.? Mm. And all these little things that, like, they look like little things on paper, but they're actually massive things when you're in those, like, formative years, aren't they? I think there is a difference between, like, was I ever shouted at as a kid? Of course it was to being verbally abused yeah there's a massive difference and it's like was did i ever have a slap on the the leg as a discipline or a tanned ass is different to being beaten isn't it yeah, yeah and it's when people you know what i mean do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, I get what you're saying, but I think it's also important to remember everybody interprets their own different, experiences differently. Of course. Yeah, yes. like somebody like myself, like I can see some of my experiences, oh, it's not a big deal, you know. There might be one thing that I've gone through that, you know, so I might think, yeah, it's nothing, you know, it was just one of them things. And somebody, it could be the biggest thing for them, yeah. their biggest trigger. And it, it, and you compare to yourself because it's like, well, what you might have better had worse. And you think about that, that's not always the right attitude, because as you say, it's how that's affected you. And that's what the whole trauma-informed approach is, and like the new service that I'm working with now for NHS, like it's all about that trauma-informed, strength-based approach of... Could you explain what that means, please? So trauma-informed is being like aware of people's experiences and their traumas, of the, whatever traumas and stuff they've been through, but taking that into the lens of, right, so how... How have these experiences affected how they are feeling, how they're behaving, and what are the outcomes for them in that? And it's trying to take it all, instead of looking at what helps everybody on a whole with PTSD of, oh, we're telling them to EMDMR, for et cetera. Mm. It's what's going to help this person with their experiences 
and trying to help them make sense of it in their own way because you know we are own as people who've experienced your own mental health you are your biggest kind of champion in that of telling people what's happened for you and how it's affected you nobody like any clinician any professional that sits beside you and says what's happened to you etc is going to fully understand it as much as you do and how you've interpreted it but it's i think the trauma-informed approach is all about trying to get to that point where you can understand it as fully as you can well no it's just it's through methods that you've you've also agreed to isn't it because you know what's going to help yourself don't you but you might not straight away you've got to try things to find that but there's no point going to one person well if i'll if you go to cbt you're going to be fine because you might not be you know you've got to you've got to experience these things to see where actually that one was rubbish for me that one was fine taking this medicine here it has helped me great so you know doing that way there's not one size fits all is there yeah everybody like with my experiences you know like don't get me wrong cbt dbt didn't help me mm. but taking some tiny little things that maybe that person the psychologist said to me yeah like write down your feelings or, or yeah. you're taking that bit away and using that and then it's all about picking and choosing what's right for you isn't mm. it finding your medicine and like you know when um, your mom went off with this fella did you feel like that abandonment issue thinking of definitely i felt like you know i've done all this for you and i've, I've kicked that out and i've done all this yeah and like i went to the police and stuff and you know i filed reports and whatnot and i think that was probably the tipping edge of it all mm. and when it all kind of went and she left it was like yeah why am i not good enough what have i done you know i was here i'm trying to protect you and whatnot and you're going and putting yourself in this position again and why are you leaving me like is it am i too much am i too much to deal with Mm. and yeah i think i still struggle with it now yeah and almost you're going away with this monster and leaving leaving me look am i as bad as this monster that you're going with or worse than this monster you're going with it used to make me think i think it still does like do i remind her of my dad Mm. and that's like a really worrying thing for me when i was younger i was like i never ever want to be like my dad and to think that she might think that about me is like it breaks my heart do you have any kind of relationship with your dad now you know no and has it affected like other relationships because of your mom yeah Yeah. i think so like my family like i only really speak to my nan and my auntie occasionally like my other auntie and stuff there was like it was always like she was in i was always in the middle of Mm -hmm. like arguments and stuff and whatnot and i always like with everything that happened as well like friendships from back home and stuff i can't maintain them because it's just they knew everything that happened Mm. and it's like there's almost that prejudgment on me and yeah i think like relationships as well like like personal relationships like partners and stuff i mean that's been you know like there is elements of it you know like feeling like you know you're not good enough for them etc am i doing the right thing always double checking things that validation thing is a massive thing for me like i'm always asking was that all right do you reckon that do you reckon that's the right way to do it etc and you feel like guilt and we all feel good like, you know sometimes when you lose your head and we all snipe our partners then do you know like, almost like frightening yourself thinking like, what I'm am I like that? yeah that's literally the head like i used to get quite angry quite a lot not like to the point of like punching walls and shouting and screaming and stuff but like i get like I'd raise my voice, I'd get emotional and that's a human being does. And it was like it used to terrify me. Mm. Like it sent me into panic attacks at times. Like I literally was just like, I'm gonna be like my dad, I'm gonna be like my dad. And mm. I just had to like try and bring myself away from that. Mm. And it's like remembering like everything that I'm doing now and all the things that I've been through and making sure I'm never going to be like that. It's fantastic that the NHS look to people with lived experience in the last uh, couple of years. Yeah. There's been a lot of research into lived experience roles and whatnot. And there's like a major place called IMROC. Um, I can't remember exactly what the abbreviation actually stands for. But it's so they do a lot of research stuff. Their paper's really interesting. I'll try and find it out for you guys after this. It's really interesting about how lived experience can like really help because peer support's not something new. Mm. you know like peer support's been around for decades and years and years and years you know like mm. peer support isn't just people that are paid to do it is it you know like peer support is you guys coming together and having a chat yeah you know peer support can be you know from a professional it can be from your friends from your family it doesn't matter there's so many different levels of it 
to you had it in religion you go talk to the priest to your mate down the moin down to your mate in the pub come here but come here mates you're having a wobble i'll give you a bit it was mentoring it was your big brother it was you you, you they were the backbone of the community weren't they ethel would go come on julie come and have a cup of coffee you know what i mean let's go yeah and that's all it was it was people looking out for one another saying i'm not saying exactly but i've been i've been somewhere similar where you are now and this is how i got through it and it's okay you're not a freak you're not a weirdo you're not you're having a wobble or you're poorly or you're frightened or you're frustrated come and talk to me yeah and i think you know the nhs it's done like it's been probably the last two three years i've started putting people in these posts and whatnot like i started in a, in a charity as peer support mm. and like lived experience it's it's that massive thing isn't it nowadays like you know you won't the people that have been through these things are the ones that know most about it yeah you know so don't stop don't like stop them from being involved in how people can help themselves and whatnot you know like in that empowering hope as we talk about all the time and stuff is mm. such a massive thing you know like and seeing somebody that's been through similar experiences don't get me wrong they don't have to be oh yeah you've gone through domestic abuse so have i etc etc it's all right look i've struggled with mental health i've attempted on my life but i'm still here and i'm mm. standing my story here now to help you pain can identify with pain can't mm -hmm. it? And it could be any kind of pain but you 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 get it you understand i i've been through a, a dark place and come out of you you haven't got to regurgitate some book that someone's read and i haven't had as many years in university and i can't read big words but you get me you're educated in a different way than he is and that that we've often said you can relate to that bloke or that woman whereas someone who's just regurgitating the posh suit you're thinking we're worlds apart here and that's like when i started in peer support my biggest like some of the com some of like those comments that you used to get from people there's one that really sticks in me like here's a lad my age similar experiences and whatnot and he said out of all the professionals i spoke to you're the only one that i felt that's truly understood it mm. you can talk their language as well though can't yeah. you you know you're not having to go from your criteria book from your dsm5 etc you know all those kind of criterias for medication etc medical diagnosis mm. you'll be able to sit down with that person and say okay what's happened well, how is it affecting you now? And yeah. what do you think is going to be best to help you? And if they don't know, it's like, okay, so these are the things that helped me. These yeah. are the things that are in this area and around you. Is there anything that you think you might want to give a go? Mm. You know, like it's all trial and error, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. We're never going to have the right answer like straight away. And that's the whole part of recovery, isn't it? Mm. Definitely. But recovery, like, I hate when people would all talk about like clinical recovery, like your recovery is in you are no longer going to struggle. Mm. Recovery is not like that, is it? No, no. It's not a straight line, is it? It's bumps, it's curves. It's learning how to deal with what's happened in the best way you can. And you are going to have your dips. You are going to have your ups and downs and your bounds. Uh, and you're going to have good and bad days where stuff happens to you that you can deal with and you're fine and then stuff happens that you can't and you, you, you need uh, a bit of extra help. And that's just life. And yep. you say, one day, the pigeon misses on your car. Next day, you have a car crash. Next day, your car gets stolen. Next day, nothing happens at all. You know what I mean? And next day, you find a fiver on the floor. That That's just life, isn't it? But it's having the tools, which I've learned for years of therapy and just growing up and maturing, having the tools in place so when stuff does happen, I'm better equipped now than when I was 30, than when I was 20, then when I was 15, when I was, you know what I mean? So, and hopefully when I'm 50, I'll be even more equipped than I am now. And that's what life does is it gives you opportunities to learn. It gives you people in your lives to learn from. And everything that happens is a lesson to learn from, isn't it? And if you're lucky, you've got positive people to support you. And I think that's it, isn't it? Like a smooth sea doesn't make a good sailor. As my tattoo says, <laughs> um, like it doesn't, does it? You know, like you're never going to learn how to tie a knot if you're just given like one tiny piece of string. You know, you've got to learn to do it with a bigger thing, and it's it goes with everything, doesn't it? You've got to adapt to what's going on, and like you've got to ride those waves. You know, you can't, you can control the, the controllables, can't you? 
but yeah. there's uncontrollables. You have to just keep your head above that wave and keep moving forward. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, it's like we're swimming. You can learn how to swim, but sometimes you've got to learn how to tread water. And that, that, that'll save your life, won't it? Just learning how just to keep your head above the float until anything else happens. But you said, I can't remember the name of the word. Is it estranged parents? Estranged. It, yeah. Could you explain what that? Because you said it's not covered a lot at all, is it? There's not a lot of research on estrangement. So estrangement is like having no contact with your parents or family. Um, there's so many people out there that are probably estranged in some way or another. Like, you know, it's a like there's different types like so strange you could like have really sporadic contact with them or when you do it's not it's negative or you can have like full estrangement which is like you don't have any contact etc and yeah i think it's one of those things that's so not addressed and it's i think it's happening a lot more and more now i think i think with the younger generations as well i think people are identifying what's more positive and what's negative and feeling you know from all things like social media and stuff that they can pull away from it a little bit more and like that is positive but it's also negative in some ways as well isn't it i think like sometimes when it's with family you're thinking oh, i've got to love him he's my dad or, i've got to love him he's my brother i've got and sometimes we see toxic relationships as in our, our peers or in our intimate partners but if someone is bringing toxicity to your life step away from them isn't it but that also has a counterbalance of the guilt of the right thing definitely and that was you know with like my estrangements and whatnot like i was always thinking have i done the right thing you know what am i what happens to her now you know like is she going to be okay and stuff like that but it's remembering you know what nobody else is going to take control of your life mm. and nobody else is going to do what's best for you like, don't get wrong people always some people are always trying to help you and support you but you've got to make that choice ultimately at what's best for you do, do you feel like you have now done the right thing because you know that you you questioned it then but you so yeah like a couple of months ago when i saw my nan my nan was always adamant of oh just make amends with your mom and you know you know like she was a victim too etc 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 and that stuff really like it hurt like so i hate like i used to like quite get anxious about going to see my nan because i knew those conversations would come up mm. or she'd be talking about my mom and stuff and a few months ago she said to me i know i know now that you finally did you did the right thing and you're better off without her mm. and that was like a massive thing for me mm. like to have that validation from her like after you know it's a it's a sister it's a daughter sister jesus christ <laughs> <laughs> it's a sister and <laughs> sister oh god it's not a sister <laughs> it's a daughter and you know like her daughter is hers you know that she loves her unconditionally yeah and to, like she was in that like she's always wanted to be the person in the middle to bring it back together you know it's like well, that's understandable as well isn't it yeah and a lot of the time they just want harmony and they almost want this magical wand peace but often it's it's not and you know we I can all feel each other's lives but we're not bringing joy to each other we're always bickering there's always someone who's all uncomfortable stepping on eggshells and we we all if we had that magic wand we'd all be waving it wouldn't we mm -hmm. peace but sometimes you're just thinking even the sheer mention of you my stomach's churning you know what i mean and every time i've got a message but i have to really get myself together to read the message because before I've even looked at it, I've catastrophized. And if you're after something, you know, there's drama. Whereas when you're not in my life, there is no drama. And that's how, like, how I look at it now is, what do you bring to my life? Yeah. Like, I've always, like, I thought about it, like, last couple of years, like, last year or two, like, would I want to go and try and make amends in some sense or have a relationship? And I'm like, what would she actually bring to it? Mm. And the truth is probably not a lot. Like, I've done this for myself now, and I don't want to go backwards. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's a choice, definitely. Like, it's something I probably will go right at some point. You know, like, the, the, the ultimate day where, you know, when she passes, or I do, or I'm on my deathbed or whatever, I probably will have regrets about that. But I know I'm doing the right thing for me. And, you know, like, it's never a straightforward, no, I'm just doing it. It's for me, that's it. You know, you're always going to have those un 
oh, what, what if I did try to make amends or what happens if we had a relationship and it was great? There's always those things, but I know I'm protecting myself. Mm. And I think you always have to question that, don't you? Because that could change. Mm-hmm. You Definitely. might get 10 years down the line, you might get to next week and go, actually, I want to try now. Actually, but you've also got to stop. Yeah, that's it. Those you've all... limit, damage limitations. Yeah. Does go wrong. Yeah, and um, that's the key, isn't it? Being able to know you can go in there and go, okay, if it doesn't go the way I want it to, it's not going to override the good work I've done. And I can park it there and walk away again and, and carry on with my life. Yeah, I just don't think I'm at that point. No. And that's, you know what, I don't know whether I ever will be. Will be, no. And that's, you know, I'm okay with that. Mm. And, you know, I, well, the way I look at it now is I am where I am. You know, I, I was a child in it. You know, I never had the choices that she had in that sense of, she could go and find somebody else. She could go and do what she wanted. I was trying to protect her, and I was that child. Like, it shouldn't be up to me to make those amends. Mm. You know, like, she knew where I lived for three, four years. Not once did she come down. Mm. And that said, cemented to me, I'm not going to be the one to try and make this better. I tried for years to make things better and to help. And what did I get for it? Homeless. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what would you say to anyone out there who might be going for this right now? I think I'd say like it's to be strong and you know, strength is not just, you know, oh I can get through it, it's knowing that you you have your best interest at heart and anybody is going through it, I'd look at like you've got to weigh it up in your own head. Like there's never there's never gonna be a definite solution. Yeah. But it's about knowing what's best for you in that moment like and if anybody is going for it i can't i can't empathize enough like you know it's it's such a difficult thing to be in but the way you look at it is is this toxic environment beneficial to me and is it beneficial to them and if it's not why are you there you know how do you get out of that and you know there is a lot you know a lot of people will stick around in it you know like you know it's you eat what you sow you know what what you know but it's how it's knowing that you know what you deserve better and you know life isn't all about your family like blood isn't always thicker than water unfortunately i've learned that you know and sometimes there is too much water under that bridge you know like some damage can't be repaired and some relationships can't be but it's like you know and I think it's thinking about it in, like, you don't have to be completely cut off from people. You know, like, you can distance yourself. Like, I moved up to Telford from Pershaw. Best decision I ever made was keeping myself out of my hometown. Mm. Like, so I didn't have everybody knowing exactly what went on. Not asking me, oh, where's your mom? How have you seen her? You spoke to her. Mm. Like, Constant the, reminded. Yeah. See, every time, even the mention of this, you're back in that trauma, aren't you? You're back in the zone. You're back in the room. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was stomach's back in knots. bringing me back to it and it never let me move forward. Like I was always working like supermarket jobs, warehouse jobs. And when I moved up here, I decided, you know what, I'm going to try and make a difference. Mm. And that's when I started well, a mental health. Is that what it was? So it wasn't as in you, you, you didn't meet a therapist yourself and think, actually, I, I'd like to do that. Or, or a therapist that was bad and thought, oh, I'd like to do better than that. I think there was like a nurse or two when I was an inpatient that like really pushed me towards mental health, like the way that they were and whatnot. I think her name was Emily, I think, the one that I really like, drew to. And like we'd go for our one-to-ones in Costa and stuff. It was great. Mm. You know, just, having a, just having a coffee and having that conversation. Yeah, and being in a, an informal setting, yeah. you know, not... not. I think it pushed me to like, you know, but don't get me wrong, back then I didn't have a clue. I think when I got to like 17, 18, I started thinking about, oh, I'd like to be a nurse. I went and did a uni, uni course. I didn't finish it, but I did my placements and I hated it. Mm. All the paperwork and that lack of interaction and time with patients i just mm. i didn't feel like i'd go home every night knowing i've done something to make a change or a positive impact on someone i'd always be going home thinking is that person going to be all right because i've had a chance to talk to them really today mm. or i've had to rush this assessment or whatever and it just it put me off completely and then the red tape yeah the red tape into the holes in the hands and that's where i found myself in lived experience stuff like went off that for a bit i went and worked in like sainsbridge for a year and a half two years and then this role came up in health like for peer support 
and it was supporting people on their discharge from inpatient units. So like from there, the day one of them being discharged, so you'd be at their discharge meetings and supporting them for like six months after that. And like in my interview, I remember saying, if this service was around when I was being discharged, I'd have bit your hand off. Mm. Just to have somebody that's like gone through similar experience, like the system and trying to go back into a community and reconnect with it all and get back into normal life. Mm. Such a massive thing, isn't it? Like, How crazy is it? That's just not a given that that happens. People, you know, like there's services out there. There's like, you know, like you're giving discharge plans and stuff and follow ups and stuff, but it's mm. it's not enough. No. It's kind of like someone going in with a broken leg, getting it plastered, and then going on your way. Oh, don't bother coming back to take it off. Yeah, we'll or just we'll just leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. You've just... got to retrain people back into communities. Mm. Like you know, it's all right. Maybe not if it's only like a two week stay and stuff. You might not need it, but people that have been in there for three, six, nine months a year, you know, like things change. People get institutionalized. People get adjusted. Uh, you to... see now, people in and out in it we've said oh, mm. we need like a halfway house where i'm not quite there to get in but i need somewhere where you're just going to make sure i'm having a wash having my tablets but i can go out you know what i mean it's not like i've got to be locked up <laughs> but i need someone they said i care in the community that stability in that sense but that kind of like ben i'm i know a wobble's coming up can i just come and Stay for a couple of days and you know, didn't mm -hmm. you know, someone on call is gonna pop around and go like, Lee, have you had your tablet? Look, Lee, if you don't start taking them, you know the next step. So do, you know, for both our sakes, make sure you get them in your champ and talk to you as a person mm -hmm. instead of a screw kind of thing, like you know, you you're in Nick and they're making you do it. Yeah, it's so much like that stability thing, isn't it? I think that's what it all comes back to is you know everybody needs some sort of stability yeah you know and that's something i lacked for years and over the last couple of years i've built that myself and like having my own stable at home and stuff like now looking and living with my partner and that's amazing and you know it's so much weight off your shoulders like the financial stuff you know, i wasn't taught and stuff was terrifying like i used to be i'm still terrified of money you know yeah. trying to save for a house at the minute i'm still trying to wrap my head around that's even possible yeah and it all comes back to being taught these things and knowing that things are possible mm. and having that stable home life and whatever it is or like was is such an important thing like that's what hospital was for me was just that stability of i know i'm going to be slipped after i know i'm not going i can't do anything silly because there's people checking on me every 10 minutes or i'm on one-to-one -one or whatever mm. and I know they're going to make sure I have my medication. I'm going to eat. I'm going to have a shower and all those kind of things just to maintain and just to keep you surviving for that time. But there's sometimes, don't you see, like some people are almost lifers, but they're in there every time something happens because of that. There's no, yeah, they say care in the community, but that nurse might come and see you once a week or once every so often or whatever it is, instead of going, where is the plan to keep me safe in my own home? So I haven't got to come back here yeah and i think there's like over the last couple of years there's been a lot more stuff on like those kind of like those wrap plans and stuff like there's work one work route well-being plans there's suicide safety plans a lot more of it's coming about and a lot of those things you know like people like just scoff their face out don't they but like for me like i did one and it was really useful like just to have something just to refer back to yeah like you know like if i'm in a really bad headspace it's just one piece of paper it says right who can I contact? Yeah. What what things can help me? We we spoke to um, David yeah. Stocks, didn't David we? Stocks. He's yeah. been on a radio and podcast, hasn't he? And uh, yeah, he he advised all all that kind of thing. And he's very similar to you, actually. He's, a, so he's an old, older gentleman, but yes, he was through lived experience. He you now works for the NHS um, in suicide prevention and survival suicide, suicide. And, then, and then he got into it. But once again, like yourself. He's been through the mill, so he can talk about it. Yeah. He hasn't read a great book on it. You're um, so you're now you've now moved to NHS Black Country. Yes, I was in the MPFT in Telford before, and I moved over for this new role. So I'm working now as a trainer and young person panel lead. And this is a new thing that Black Brand Country is set, it's setting up. Not set up yet. It's so in we, process. Yeah, yeah. So I'm basically um, 
doing tra delivering training and whatnot for the peer support workers and along along the trust as well of you know lived experience background stuff and the effects of things and just delivering training to other professionals on like different things from like you know how communication with patients and whatnot and how trauma from peer support just to try and give that lived experience side of things about how you know how things come across mm. rather than reading it from a textbook of this is the way to do it mm. it's having that different view and then the other side of my role is the young person panel lead where i'm doing so we are now so we're setting up a young person panel for like people from 18 to 25 to come in and have their say on the service and to help us co-produce it as best we can like so it is as meaningful to the young people as it possibly can be and so it's brand new we're going to be having peer support workers that are going to be working with the people in localities of the black country there's going to be band six workers which are like your transition workers and it's all about focusing on the people that are moving from cam services to adult services and that's where the service will start um and then eventually what we hope to do is open up some hubs so like open up community hubs where we can have different organizations in like on drop-ins and stuff for people to attend like 18 25 year olds and there's lots of different places like that out already like pop in warsaw is amazing we went i went and visited the other day it's really cool like really amazing like it's almost like a youth club their first one they've right. got like, three of a hub two of a hubs around warsaw and they're like they can offer like different interventions from that they can do cooking skills they can do life skills they can if do, they want to come and do some boxing skills you know the lines obc with uh rules up for stuff like that yeah it's definitely once i'm up and running like all these links that i've got already like yourselves and whatnot i will definitely be in touch with but yeah we haven't got any patience at the moment we're still recruiting people like still getting the brand like the team name up and whatnot yeah. getting a website and really co-producing it with the young people but when it is up and running please come back on and you know we'll, we'll do it if we can to support it yeah definitely is there a time time scale that you know yet i no? don't want to say no no it's absolutely <laughs> fine i fully understand it's really hard to say at the minute yeah. like yeah it just depends i think mostly on how recruiting goes, goes yeah yeah and um is in terms of peer support recruiting how would people go about do you know it's a peer support could... recruit like it's no, I think how could they apply? So, so if so, yeah, because yeah. I'm thinking if someone else has, has lived experience similar to yourself and thinking actually, you know what, that's something I'd quite like to explore. How how would you advise that people get into that kind of role? So, like a lot of the stuff, like I would recommend, like if it's probably volunteering would be your first like yeah. step of call. Like you know, go and get some experience. Yeah, like yeah. Just talking to people, like mm. people that are disadvantaged or at risk or people that need that extra support so like you know your, your food banks your owner shelters um your mental like your local mental health charities etc just or like anywhere really like that like anyone like even at your local hospital like people that are calling for volunteers all the time aren't they just to yeah, help yeah. like almost like porters but not porters like just yeah. like your chaperones and stuff for people them them lovely people if someone else but the people just going around having a cup of coffee Mm. Do you want a brew? Do you want a sandwich? Yeah. Do you want a biscuit? In a and departments mostly and stuff, yeah. They're the backbone, aren't they? Because they're the kind of people who can give you the time of day making a brew when you're having a blooming awful day. And I'll just come over, have a cup, and have a little chat to you. But don't they just light up your day? When you've sat there and you've just got your head in your hands, halfway for having a belly full, and do you want a brew? Yes, please, love. And, you know, that small gesture can make a bad day a little bit better, can't it? And that's what volunteers. Oh, the godsends on the children ward at oh. us all. Absolutely, godsends up there. The amount of times, because obviously, with my daughter when she's in, you can't leave her, so you yeah. can't go and get food, and you've not yeah. because you've gone up in an emergency. You've not, you're not planned to, yeah. you know, all that, and you could, yeah, and yeah, just having a cup of tea, a piece yeah. of toast, a chat, whatever it is. Them getting toys for the little one. Just someone else mm. to talk to, who's around sadness all day, but has still got a smile on the face. face. Yeah. And that, that in itself is a skill. Yeah, there's thing. Julie on the children's ward. She's absolutely fantastic. Yeah. If you can, how can you be in a place like this and still be chipper? <laughs> and put their arm aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And that, yeah. you know, they're the angels and they're the people who don't get paid, don't get no credit. But out of everyone you've seen that day, they're probably the person you've had a laugh with. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, like, that is it, isn't it? It's all about, you know, 
of like peer support as well. It's like, you know, it's helping you as much as it's helping them. Mm. And I know that's quite a selfish way to look at it, but like you helping somebody else gives you that kind of that goodness in your heart, doesn't it? It gives you that warm feeling that like you've made a difference and whatnot. And there's also that side of it, obviously, of helping that person, you know, knowing mm. someone that they can relate to and whatnot. And even, you know, it doesn't have to be something really deep and meaningful. Like you don't have to go through their story one by one with them and like go through every little detail. It's just relating on a level that they're comfortable mm. with. Yeah. And, you know, like people that want to get into peer support and whatnot, it's just, it's being open to understanding people come from different ways and different backgrounds mm. and just listening to it. Like, there's no set way of being a peer support worker. You know, like, people are, you know, the NHS is revolutionising it now. We've experienced stuff. There's there's going to be so many more posts coming out and out and out. And the benefit it has is absolutely massive. Like, on the teams I've been in, like, just having a different opinion on, like, some of the groups that they're doing, like, some of the life skill groups, for example, about, like, their, like how they're delivering them and whatnot it's such a massive thing and there are only little things that somebody that's been through it would think of that someone that hasn't wouldn't we say this quite often with yeah. the disabilities don't we and and um just about access to places and that and there's things you don't realize until you like like kev says painting steps yellow because you can see see yellow yeah. better and and but without having kev there telling you that like i want to know yeah. well you know a step's a step just get up with kind yeah. of thing but you you because you don't you don't put yourself in those people's shoes, but when you've lived it, you know about it. But as you say, it's only obvious if you know the answer, mm. and you only know the answer if you're around it. You know, a lot of the time, I think it is trying to figure out what your answer is. Mm. You know, like, and also have the intelligence to realize that I'm not going to know the answer. So I'm clever enough to know I don't know everything. So I better ask someone who does. And then, yeah, and you learn about things in your own way, don't you? Your own pace. Like, you know, we're always learning. We're always growing. We're always building on what we've got already or always, like, up to a new challenge and whatnot. And it's how you deal with it now. Mm -hmm. And all these things that you learn across everything grow you, don't they, as a person? Mm -hmm. You're not going to have... Uh, you're not going to have enough tools in your workbox when you're 10. You know, no. you have to keep going and keep learning and keep going through adversity and stress and whatnot to learn how to deal with it. Mm. And that's not saying put yourself in stressful situations, but it's stressful. Cool, that's life. Yeah, life is stressful, <laughs> isn't it? It's a roller coaster in that sense. You're never gonna be absolutely fine and have everything go right for you. No. You know, but it's learning about how you deal with it when it doesn't go right, yeah. and like knowing, you know, what you can't control everything. You can change some things, but you can't make everything better and happy. It's about being in those times and knowing, you know what, things will get better. This isn't forever, but at the same time, it, I can't sit here and lull in it. I've got to make a change. You know, like with the, like the plant thing we talked about earlier, you know, like you can't put a plant in a bit of water. You can't put a plant in soil and then say, why haven't you bloomed? But the soil's poor. It's got no water. It's not been watered. You blame. You look at the environment, don't you? Mm. It's the same with somebody. You know, like if you haven't got good support network around you, if you haven't got good distraction techniques or good coping techniques or um, some stability or a, a home. You know, all these basic things that people need to be social creatures that we are. Mm. Then you're never going to move forward. And it's it's really picking at those things in your life that are important to you. Mm. you know what for some people it might social being social and having friends isn't that important they're quite happy sitting behind a screen on the game like i am a lot of the time mm. but you know we all need connection in some way the connection can come in many different forms can't it there's people on my xbox that i've played with for five years that i probably know better than some of my friends in real life yeah so like it's just it doesn't matter how you make those connections it's just as long as you they're pure and mm. they are true to what you want well ben that's been brilliant today. yeah really enjoyed it thank you very much for coming on thank you for having me before we go have you got any quotes or sayings that have helped you get through life god now you put me on the spot there's a couple now. well i like that <laughs> we just said about the flower but <laughs> you've already used this yeah. so we want another <laughs> give me more <laughs> so for the one that's on my leg is that smoothies that make good sailors and I think that's a really good one to look at is that like 
yet that you don't have to have you know like the hard all the hardest times you've been through aren't going to bring you down and sh- like they're not going to make you a shipwreck they're things that you can get over and ride over and i think it's just important to remember that it's okay that you know things aren't all right now i don't really know what the other quote is there's loads in my head but it's just not coming out so <laughs> don't worry. no i think that is i think that ties in great with lived experience doesn't it well guys i hope you've enjoyed it i want you all to take care of yourselves and each other to our bit listen listen and that's a wrap for another show but if there are any comments or messages that you'd like us to read out for our next podcast, please be in touch. There are also lots of different organisations at the bottom of this page and hopefully they can help you or someone you care about. Please share this to spread the word. Until we talk next time, ta a bit. Listen, listen.